Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Bryan here. Have you ever made plans with someone just to bail? Or have that back and forth text or phone call at the 11th hour to find some way out of it? I think at some point in time, all of us really have. And it could be due to different things, anxiety or, or depression or even personality disorders. So what do we do? We make plans with the intention of showing up no matter what. We understand that that is a part of the fabric of who we are. And if you go, it might just help your depression. It might just help your anxiety. Be the best version of you that you can be today. Hey everybody, Doc Bryan here and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. Today, we're going to talk everything about trauma bonds. Now, so many people think the wrong thing when we say trauma bond. A trauma bond isn't that you were in an accident and a stranger came to help you and through that trauma you have bonded into a relationship. A trauma bond has to do with ongoing abuse or trauma from a particular person who makes you feel like you need them no matter what. Typically, trauma bonds take place within a relationship where one person is a narcissist. So join in with us today in our discussion as we hear from the professional about trauma bonds. Today's guest is Matthew Pfeiffer, and uh, he is here with us. Matthew, it's good to have you with us here. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now, do you go by Matthew or Matt? Uh, I really don't have a preference, but uh, you know, usually Matt because it goes well with Matt Pfeiffer coaching, so people gotcha. will remember. Gotcha. So uh, I've had you on Doc Talks before, and and I said then that I I claimed you to be the expert in narcissism, uh, at least the one who I know. Uh, and so I invited you to come back today for us to talk about something that is is not necessarily unique to narcissism uh, because it has to deal with abuse, but it's something called trauma bonds. Now, can you just give us a brief explanation of what that means? One of the more pure definitions of trauma bonds that I have come across that I use to describe it is that it's a dysfunctional attachment in the presence of danger, exploitation, and or shame. So we have to understand that there's a couple of different things at play here, right? Number one, this dysfunctional attachment. So that's where me, myself, I have to be aware of my attachment where I know, and this is where it's, you know, with people I work with or when I'm talking to people on lives or videos, there's this fine line between victim shaming and empowering the victim to take responsibility that we have to, that they have to understand that they 
have a dysfunctional attachment, either codependency, anxious attachment style, something along those lines. And the other part, especially when I work with people, a lot of times they, even though they may not want to admit it, they know that there's something up. They know that there's abuse going on. They know that even though they may not want to admit it, even though they may defend this person. Uh, so we know that, that, the, that the person you're attaching to or the group, because it can be a group, it's unhealthy, right? It's dangerous. There's, uh, there's shame, there's exploitation. And quite often the way that we know is that even though we may quote unquote love this person or love this situation, we're afraid of standing up for ourselves. We're afraid of setting a boundary because we know that there's presence of danger, shame or exploitation. So if I walk away, if I speak up for myself, we know that there's going to be a price and there's going to be a penalty to pay for it. Sure. Yeah. And so when, when I define trauma bonds there, to me, there is two dead giveaways. And the first one is that it's ongoing, that this abuse is ongoing. It, it may get better for a while, but it's still ongoing. And that you feel powerless in this cycle of abuse and whenever you're with that person. Uh, would you agree to those two being the major issues there? Partially, with the exception of the powerless. Quite often, that actually is a part of the problem with the trauma bond very common for the person who is trauma bonded to actually think that they do have power in the in the dynamic mm -hmm. and what what i mean by power is that there's this uh misconception that the abuser in that situation that the narcissist in that situation is quote unquote having a bad day and so the person thinks that where their power is is that they can make sure as long as i, I can make sure that they have a good day as long as as long as i don't make this person mad as long as I have everything right, then I have the ability to make sure that everything stays safe. And so then what happens is that the, the victim in the situation, when things go sideways, when that person is abusive, controlling, uh, they accept blame, they accept responsibility where they should not be accepting responsibility because they made them mad, they misstepped, um, not realizing that this has nothing to do with this person having, having a bad day, having a bad day at work, but more to do with this person's deep, desperate need for control and for uh, the enjoyment of mistreating people. If we were to suspect, say, our friend or a family member, if we were to suspect that there could be a trauma bond there, how would we as a friend or family member approach that? That's very, very difficult because as much as that person is trauma bonded, people on the outside who looking in, it's very easy for us to see it because we don't have the emotional attachment there. But very common for us to want to reach out to them and begin to push. You know, this is a dangerous situation. This person is a jerk. This person is this. And let's get you out of here. The problem there is that it's not their decision. And their self-worth is tied into that relationship or that situation. So with them, if they were to leave now, what's going to happen is that they are now going to experience a lot of now for the, maybe for the first time in their life, they actually have to take responsibility for their own emotions and their own healing. Well, that's hard. That's difficult. And not only that, but we also have to remember that their loyalty lies with the person that's abusive. And so with you pushing, so let's, let's kind of bring all of that, that whole scenario together. Even if you successfully convince that person to leave, when they experience the aches and pains of the trauma bond, which are very, very similar to withdrawal symptoms for someone who's struggling with an addiction. And when things start to get 
difficult. And then we also have the dynamic of that abuser reaching out to them. You know, I can't believe you left me making them feel guilty. I can't believe you did this. You destroyed the family. You abandoned me. And so now things start to get difficult. The first thing that they're going to do to protect themselves is tell the abuser that you convinced them to. They're not going to accept responsibility. You, They told me to. This wasn't my idea. And so what's going to happen is you have the potential to actually make that situation worse. Where now, when and if that person goes back, the abuser says to them, you know, I don't ever want you talking to that person again. They're just jealous of what we have. They're just mad about uh, that. I provide this big, beautiful house for you. They're just jealous about uh, how great our, our situation is. And so what we actually want to do is we want to stay close. We still want to continue to be friends with them, but we want to, when they open up and they start to have dialogue about things that are happening, we want to validate their feelings and talk to them and let them uh, allow for this situation to be their idea. Then it's a whole different situation where, where they understand the danger that they're in. But unfortunately, that means sometimes that people are going to be in unhealthy situations until they themselves get sick of it. But that's unfortunately, the proper way to, to handle it. Right. And so with trauma bonds, there comes a lot of gaslighting and love bombing. Well, it's confusing to the person being abused that, you know, uh, you can see the cycle of domestic violence and, and how all of that works together. And at some point, as you said, we have to allow that person to make their own choice, present them with, here's what we believe, but empower them to make the decision. Because it's just like you, you mentioned with addictions, an alcoholic isn't going to stop drinking until they decide, I'm going to stop drinking. You can send them to rehab, you can commit them, you can do whatever, but until they decide, then it's not going to take place. Right. We talked about here uh, the trauma bond between a, a person and a narcissist, but you've also mentioned trauma bonds within organizations. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, you 100% can have a trauma bond to a workplace dynamic, to a church. We have to remember that it can be a family member. Really, the when we get back down to the more basic definition of what a trauma bond is, an unhealthy attachment. Uh, in the presence of danger, shame, or exploitation. So what would this look like in a workplace dynamic? You know this boss, this situation, the coworkers is an unhealthy, toxic environment, but you're afraid to leave. They may be convincing you that, well, they might say things like, well, this is how it is in, in every corporate company in this industry, and this is just the way that things are, and try to convince you that way that the, one of the core essence of manipulation is to convince you that the behavior is normal. Right? So they'll begin to normalize the behavior and try to get you to be afraid of leaving. Well, who else is going to pay you the way that we are? Who else is going to do this? You're up for a promotion every six months. Why, you know, why are you going to leave uh, this great, amazing place? But you know that it's not as great as what, what they're describing. But you also are afraid the same way that someone who is in an abusive romantic relationship might be afraid of, I'll never find anyone. You might be afraid in terms of a, of a, a job or a career that, it could get worse. You might be thinking along those lines. You might be convinced that, yes, everyone in this industry acts and behaves just like this. So it's just going to be the same thing in another place. Or 
you were afraid of what's going to happen, that they could slander you, that there could be uh, a smear campaign that they could call this new place, especially when we start getting into sales and we get to certain industries where where there's uh, non-disclosure agreements and non-competitive agreements that were signed uh, first and um, where, where there's a lot of moving parts. There, it's very common to see a lot of smear campaigns and for people to call their clients and and try to uh, try to make things very, very difficult. So when we start seeing those dynamics, even though it's a non-romantic situation, you can definitely see a trauma bond where people may stay in an unhealthy situation. And where, where, it's, where it's very difficult when it comes to workplace dynamics, one of the things that we don't talk about enough is that we spend more time at work than we do at home. And so when we have an abusive, toxic situation at work, uh, it can have a dramatic impact, just as much or more of a dramatic impact on us as a, an abusive relationship at home. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes corporate abuse isn't the same type of abuse that we would get in home. And, and it really is very easy to believe that, well, this is just the way it is when the three or four other people you're working with say, well, yeah, that's the way it's always been. Mm -hmm. I have this saying that you can make good time going the wrong direction. And that is that we no longer see it as this is the way it's always been to really looking at the moment and how this, this isn't right. Now, there are corporate policies. We get that. We're talking about abuse, overworking you, pushing you past your your job responsibilities, having you to work overtime, not paying you. So there is that that differential there uh, that that we need to understand. Right, pushing you past your boundaries, pushing you know. Um, so, I mean, I've heard just about everything. I've heard of people throwing paperwork in people's faces. Literally, I don't mean just saying like you didn't do the paperwork. I mean literally throwing paperwork in people's faces. Uh, but then, uh, like you said, the love bombing. I've you know, different bonuses. Sometimes the abuse can come in the form of overpaying someone because they know that they can continue to mistreat you because they know that they're not going to, they have, lock, have you locked in. I've seen that multiple, multiple times. And so you have to be very, very aware and very, very careful of that. And then constantly threatening your job, constantly threatening, you know, saying things like, uh, if you, if you don't do this, I'll find somebody who will putting, you know, a lot of triangulation happens in the workplace. A lot of backbiting, telling people that that someone is going to take your position or or promising people your position and getting people stirred up just to to create a stir. Uh, so there's a lot of things like that that happen in the corporate setting. Yeah. I recently had a client who her 18 year old son still living at home, didn't have a job. All he wanted to do was play video games. Well, he would go on these games, uh, you know, I can't even think of the name of it, but you're in a you're in a platoon together and you're fighting a proverbial war, I guess is, is what Call it's called. Call of Duty. Yeah, Call of Duty. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're a lot younger and more hip than I am, so so that you would you would know all of those. Well, I grew up playing video games and I grew up playing Call of Duty. So gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So so what he would do is he would get in this and he would start playing but then he would start killing his own teammates mm -hmm. because it was fun. And there's no rhyme or reason to that. You know, what I see as normal is not what that person sees as normal. Right. And so within trauma bonding, it's very easy for us to get caught up in what we see as normal when that's all we know. Yeah. 
and once again, you can't convince the person that there is a trauma bond until they know it. But are there practical ways to help this person understand that this is not normal? If you are the third party and you are the one that is on the outside looking in, you're going to want to try to allow for them to have a breath of fresh air, so to speak, right? If at all possible, try to get them away from the the abuser and just allow for them to feel and express freedom. That can be difficult because everything is a threat to the abuser, but sometimes you might have to bring the abuser along and, you know, and then you're just in kind of different rooms. Let's say there's a party going on, uh, but sometimes, sometimes people are so controlling, even that is a threat. So you, you want them to, but here's the thing about it is that even with, even with that, the dominoes are always going to fall. A lot of times we want to rescue so much and we don't want people to experience pain, not realizing that that pain is exactly what that person needs to experience. Let's say that you invite that person out and the abuser is just reluctant and won't allow for that person to go out and, and experience new things and see you or see new people and won't leave the presence. That gets old real quick. And what happens is that that gets that begins to get stagnant. It goes against everything, our, our general makeup. And that person gets to a point where they feel like they can't do anything right. And so either way, uh, at some point in time, this person is going gonna, is gonna to recognize it. But one of the things that I would encourage for that person to do is regardless if that person can't get out or if they do, if they are able to hang out with you every once in a while, is continue to stay close and continue to invite them. Because you inviting them out and they can never go and they see uh, they see that everyone's having a good time and everyone is uh, eventually they start to catch on. I'm missing out on life, right? That this time is being wasted. And in every single year, every single uh, time, there's an, a new excuse on the reasons why myself and my partner can't go or why we have to leave early. And, uh, and internally, they know. That's the hard part about this is that you may know overall that this is a bad relationship, an unhealthy relationship. But internally, they might see something that you may not be you may not be seeing. Their pain point might be different than the pain point that you're discovering, and so they that that's the part that we have to allow for them to kind of discover on their own, and and allow for them to see on their own. So if somebody is listening today and they say, "Gee, I I might be a part of a trauma bond," what would you tell them to explore or or to look at internal? Right. We want to begin to validate our own internal feelings and begin to kind of take an inventory. One of the things that I tell people that very telling sign, whether or not you're in a trauma bond, you're always you find yourself always defending the relationship. Circle back to one of the questions that you asked about. Uh, so when your friends and your family are bringing up certain things that are happening, happening in your relationship and uh, you, you find yourself, well, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. They just had a bad day. You're just always defending it, but internally, you know something's wrong, but you're always defending that person. The other thing is you're, you feel like you're constantly walking on eggshells. Uh, you know there's a problem, but you're kind of afraid to leave, and, or maybe you have left before, and you left, and it felt so uncomfortable that you staying in an unhealthy relationship actually felt feels more comfortable than than leaving. Those are some those are some very very telling dynamics. And that some other dynamics is, you know that your upbringing wasn't wasn't that great, wasn't that healthy. You are with someone who, when you talk to them about their bad behavior, 
it's met with a lot of excuses, met with a lot of uh, a lot of storytelling. This person starts talking in circles. A lot of false, fake promises that are being made. Uh, and even though you might accept those false promises, you internally know that whatever behavior you're trying to discuss, whether it be cheating, whether it be physical abuse, you know what's going to happen again. Uh, it's called feigned ignorance, where they're just talking and they're saying, you know, coming up with all these excuses, sometimes playing dumb. I don't know how that, I don't know how that number got there. You're, you know, you discovered it, mate, you know, you're, you should tell me how that number got there. And so then you just kind of know based on their, their, uh, based on your history, based on everything that this person has no desire to change. And the last thing that, that I would bring up that is a very, very telling sign is to take an inventory of all of your disagreements. Let's say you've known this person for 10 years. And take a look at your disagreements, right? When we're in, an, in all relationships, we have disagreements, but in toxic relationships, there's a lot of disagreements. And look to see in the last 10 years, when have we had a disagreement that we were able to meet in the middle or that things were kind of gone in my way, gone in my favor? And even if they did go in your favor every once in a while, did it go in your favor without any type of penalty, without that, and without them constantly throwing it, throwing it in your face? Because we have to remember that the person who is abusive and controlling and gaslighting and things of that nature, they need that control at all times. And if anything went in your favor, even down to sometimes if you are the center of attention, you get a promotion or it's your birthday, they have to make everything all about themselves. And so uh, you're going to see this dynamic of everything. Uh, I always compare this, th that scenario with um, a story out of Aesop's Fables. I don't know if you remember Aesop's Fables, uh, but there was a lion that uh, was sick. I don't know if he was sick or he, he was old, but he stopped hunting. And so instead he would sit back in a cave and when he would see animals walk by, he would, you know, he would play victim. Like, hey, can you come take care of me? I'm so sick. And the animals would come in, then he would devour them. He'd eat them. Well, one day a fox walked by and he said, hey, come take care of me. I'm sick. I don't know what to do. And the, the fox said, I noticed that all the tracks are going towards you, but none of the tracks actually make it out, out of the cave. And that's the same scenario. When we're talking about the disagreements, you notice that everything is going towards that person, but there, it's just a one track relationship that nothing actually makes it back towards you without any sort of penalty. Yeah, that's a, a really good analogy uh, there for us to look at. You know, when we start talking about disagreements, though, uh, we should take inventory of certain type of, of disagreements. For instance, if, if we disagree politically, we might not want to put those in that category. So when, when, I, when I talk to people, the disagreements, yeah, the, you know, it, it's, but it's everything. We're talking about lunch. When I'm talking about disagreements, I mean like the decisions on where we're going to go to eat, what are we going to do, whose vaca what vacation are we going to go on, things that most healthy couples are able to find some sort of compromise in. But when we're, you know, when we're talking about politics or uh, even certain aspects of spirituality, even sometimes then you'll notice that it's not so much that, let's say that you, that the two people have a different opinion on politics that person will not let it go until you agree with them and until you are voting their side and you they know your opinion, but they are not letting that go. And there's, a, there's a, typically a price to be paid if you don't agree with them, right? You know that there's something that, that's going to end up coming down, down the road. So your voice is, is squelched and it's not, 
uh, not respected, right? Until everything is going is headed into the direction of that person. Right. And you do have to understand that just because they may accept something uh, at one point may be a part of the love bombing to begin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times people will have difficulties in relationships and then they approach it and all of a sudden everything is just peachy and and it's like that for two or three weeks and then it's right back where they were. That is one type of explanation for this through love bombing. You know, that really makes it difficult for the person who has a trauma bond too, that the family or the friend that's the third party may be saying, well, you really need to think about this or look at this. And she's, well, he did this for me and this and this and this. or So you don't know, you don't understand. And, and the cycle there is to give the abuse, but then to love you enough to believe that you deserved the abuse and keep that cycle moving. And, and that's, that's a large part of the, the trauma bond is the love bombing. One of, one of the things I tell people, because there's in the beginning of the relationships, there's uh, some heavy, significant love bombing. And that's the part that people fall in love with is that, and they start to think that when the abuse and, and the bad behavior is happening, they, you might hear people say, I still see good in them. I still see the beginning stages of them. But we have to understand that abuse, control, and manipulation, none of that works without a handful of good times. It doesn't exist. This is the reason why we tell our kids don't take candy from strangers, because we know that that is grooming. And so that really grooming and love bombing really could be interchangeable, understanding that really that's just the bait before the hook. That, uh, that, and that's a lot of the reason why people stay in this relationship is because you know when the person will offer change and then the person, the victim is holding on to false hope and people, it's important for people to understand that that false hope, it tightens, it strengthens the trauma bond. It makes, it makes the trauma bond worse, which is a lot of the reason why people like this, you have to, it's important to go no or low contact because listening, right. And reasoning, it's going it, to, it almost to a point where, because we have to remember how charismatic people who are abusive and controlling are. So for you, especially with fan ignorance and you, you, you are locked in and you, you want it to work, right? Because you, you love the beginning stages so much, but they're not going to allow for the beginning stages to come back because guess what? That means that they are losing more and more control. They, they want no part of that. Right. And as, as you know, the actual confirmed diagnoses of narcissism is very low in the United States. And that's because a true narcissist isn't going to go and say, hey, am I a narcissist? And there's also a lot. There's also the, the other issue is that it's very difficult to see in, uh, in session, especially one-on-ones. As much as we learn in school, I'm not a big advocate that's, that says that everyone needs to experience the things that they, that they treat. However, this is one of them that I would, um, because it's very difficult to, to see, it's very difficult to spot without the actual true true actual experience with uh with someone because when you're with them uh let's say you're in, in a session with them one-on-one a lot of things that they say are going to make sense you know and it's not and and the other part that is that's difficult when you're dealing with a narcissist is that they don't it's not like they're abusive towards everyone that's the issue right it's actually people it's actually people that are closest to them that they know it's more difficult for for them to leave and that they can continue to control so to the average person uh, that may have just met them or may have just run into them. 
is it might be very, very difficult for, for them to see. Yeah. And so you already know where I stand on this from previous conversations, but is it possible to have a healthy relationship with a true narcissist? No. So I, I had the very rare opportunity when I was doing more, when I was more of a uh, traditional therapist in, in a clinic setting. And I don't want whoever's listening. I don't. I always say this. I always give this this disclaimer because then when people hear that I've had that experience, people always want to send me uh, send uh, someone that they're dealing with to come see me. And I, I always give this disclaimer. I promise you, you will you will waste your money. But in that situation, they were court mandated to come see me, not because of the narcissism, but because of the addiction that they were dealing with. But they would have a, a dual diagnosis with uh, with narcissism. And one of the things that would consistently happen is that that a consistent theme that they would say, if there was any sort of divorce or if they had any sort of breakup or anything like that, I always have to pause when I say this because it's such an upside down world with narcissism. I love pissing her off because then I know she still loves me, right? And if you really think about that, where in a healthy relationship, your goal is to not piss off your partner, not to make them mad. Right. And to, and, and to, you know, even though you may have disagreements, you're looking for compromise. And for the narcissist, because they're trying to have their needs satisfied and met, it's a very upside down world where they actually feel loved when you are angry, when you're upset, when there's destruction, when there's chaos. And so when they, when you are at your worst is when they are at your best. There's a constant overvaluation of themselves and a constant devaluation of them. And so when we're, when we're, talking about someone who's truly narcissistic, we have to have a much more realistic expectation of what it's a very, very upside down world that, that they, you know, it, and I tell people it really actually is a disorder. You know, I think a lot of times people think that, you know, because they quote unquote still see good in them, they see the potential it really actually is a disorder. And uh, even though mo- a lot of people aren't diagnosed with it and things of that nature, uh, we have to understand that the way their way of thinking, their personality, the way that they live is very upside down from uh, the way that someone who has healthy levels of empathy think and live. Yeah. And it's a, uh so many facets to what happens and what doesn't happen and how this person is and how that person is. And so it can be very confusing for the person who is is suffering. And I want to give an example of what I mean, because a lot of times they think that a lot of times people think that this person's finally starting to turn a corner. When we get into just one aspect of one of the things that narcissists do, gaslighting, and I, I don't even like the term gaslighting, I prefer the clinical term crazy making, because that's literally what they're trying to do is trying to make you feel like you're crazy. One of the things that happens, one of the things I tell people who are in recovery from narcissistic abuse is that you're never going to understand, you're never going to understand or put the, put together everything that happened. Here's the reason why. When we're talking about gaslighting, it's not just verbal. It's not just, it's so insidious. It's more than just a lie. They, they will move your keys. They will hide your keys, uh, make you feel like you lost them. There was someone who I was working with that um, that the person moved or hid one shoe, just one shoe. 
and would say they have no idea where they're at. You, you, and but then they'll they'll place blame on you. You always misplace things. This is the reason why I need, uh, why I have to control the finances because you, if you can't even find your shoes, if you can't even find your keys, why would I? Why would I ever allow for you to touch the finances? So it's much more insidious. And and to think that someone is going to go to that level and to that extent to have that much control, and then but think about this for a second. When you talk about like if you go to people who don't understand this and you say, I think my partner is hiding my keys on purpose. I think my partner is hiding one shoe on purpose. Good luck getting them to believe you. For someone who doesn't understand how insidious gaslighting, if they're not familiar with gaslighting and a lot of, a lot of people aren't familiar with how, how insidious it is, it, uh, they will look at you like you're crazy and, and it, it has the potential of making matters worse. These are the reasons why I don't encourage people to, when they see this type of behavior, it's more likely that they're going to go deeper into that hole once you start to recognize it than, than the other way around. Yeah. And, and I imagine in that scenario, the switch could flip very quickly from you can't take care of yourself. This is why I have to do this, 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 and this. But I took time to find your shoe and that's why you need me. And I spent time to do that because I do love you and I do this. Uh, and so th- there is that back and forth because that's the goal is that they want you, they want you to feel like you're crazy, that there's something wrong with you. So then now there's an even more over-reliance on them. And guess what? Now they have even more control. But the problem is that it doesn't stop. A lot of times people will say, well, I'll just give them whatever he wants. I'll just give them, you know, the, you know, all of the control, but it doesn't stop there. They need more and more and more until you become a shell of yourself. And the problem is, is that we, when we talk about the narcissistic cycle of abuse, you have the love bomb, you have the devaluation where all of the abuse and all of the manipulation lives. We also forget about the final stage, which, which is discard. And when you get to a point where you're just a shell of yourself, you're, a lot of times people get to a point where they just sit, stay silent to the abuse. They stop talking altogether. Uh, and then it gets to a point where now you're boring to the narcissist. And they just end up leaving. And when I say they leave, they leave you in shambles. They leave you devastated, typically when you're at your lowest. Yeah, it's it's a vicious cycle. It is. A vicious cycle. Well, Matt, thank you for being here with us today on Doc Talks. Now, you do have Matt Five for coaching. So tell us how we could find you. The fast way to work with me is, um, yeah, my website, mattfivefordcoaching.com. I'm on all social media platforms. Really ramping up my YouTube uh, recently, but I, I think the fastest way to work with me is um, to go to my website, mattfivercoaching.com. Sounds good. Well, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. As you heard discussed today, trauma bonds can be especially difficult for some because they don't realize that's what it is. When it comes to these specific things, we must remember that we have to empower the person who has the trauma bond. We can't convince them that it's there. They have to openly and freely make the decision, yes, this is happening, and yes, I want to leave. And that transition, it's not going to be an easy one. It's going to be one that they will need a lot of support. So if you're in a relationship today and you say, Doc Brian, I think that I'm dealing with a trauma bond, I would tell you, considering that it is happening is the first step out. Thank you for listening to Doc Talks today. 
If you'd like to find me, I'm Doc Brian. You can find me on my website, thedocbrian.com. All of my social media links are there. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok for our weird psychology facts. So make sure to find us there. Of course, we always have our hotline open and you can give us a call, leave us a message. Hope you have a great day. We'll see you again. Goodbye.